What's up, Wizards fans and NBA nerds? My name is Bryce Haas, and you're listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, a podcast giving you game-by-game breakdowns of everything Wizards. Hey, Hoop Heads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Wizards Hoops Analyst. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, At the Buzzer, and Cavaliers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. <laughs> that was another fun game against the Indiana Pacers. For some reason, um, I mean, like the Indian Pacers, they're missing a bunch of guys again. Um, but, you know, a win is a win. And that was a massive, massive win for the Wizards. That was probably like their most important game of the season up until now. Um, because with that win, 133 to 132 against the Pacers in overtime, um, the Wizards record goes to 32 and 36, and the Pacers record falls to 31 and 36, putting the Wizards now half a game ahead of the Pacers and into the ninth seed. Um, and like, like I keep saying, that's significant because like assuming all the teams are equal in the plan, if you have the ninth seed, you have a 25% chance to make the playoffs. And if you're the 10th seed, you have a 20% chance to make it. Um, so gaining that extra 5% or like whatever it actually is when you factor in, um, how good the teams actually are, like that's big. Um, so yeah, um, coming into this game, the Pacers were, um, 20th in the NBA in point differential with a point differential minus 0.7, um, 15th in the NBA in offense with an offense rating of 112.2 and 15th in the NBA in defense with a defense rating of 113.0. But remember, a lot of that is because Miles Turner is like the main guy on like in their defense and he's obviously been playing for most of the season. Uh, I need to pull out the Pacers injury report to tell you all the guys that they were out. But like Malcolm Brogdon was out um, and Miles Turner was out um, to have arguably their like probably two of arguably their two most important guys. Um, I guess I'll talk about Sabonis later. Um, but Jeremy Lamb was out. He's a starter slash six man for them. Um, and he's really, really valuable for what they do defensively. Um, Jakar Sampson was out. Um, not as big a deal because Gogo Batadze was back. Um, and then TJ Warren obviously has missed like the whole season. Um, so they're missing a lot of guys. Um, but it's, <laughs> I mean, a win is a win. Like I always say that like the Wizards, yeah, they've, gotten tons of luck with injuries as of late um but sometimes you know that happens like there's nothing the wizards can do about that um 
but yeah, you'd love to see them, you know, win the game by, you know, a little bit more um, if the Pacers are missing that many guys. Um, but to go over the overview and four-factor stuff for this game, the Wizards' um, offense rating was actually lower than the Pacers, um, which is funny. Um, but their offense rating was 108.2, which is in the 36th percentile. The Pacers was 109.1 in the 38th percentile. Um, Wizards' effective field goal percentage was 49.1, 24th percentile. And Pacers was 51.9, which is in the 38th percentile. Wizards' turnover rate was 14.8, which is in the 40th percentile. And the Pacers was 10.7. Um, in the 78th percentile, the Wizards offensive rebound rate tonight, um, when looking at the four factors is a thing that stands out, um, cause their rebound rate was at 29.5, um, which is in the 75th percentile and the Pacers was at 14.3 good for the sixth percentile. Um, free throw rate for both teams was about the same. Um, Wizards at 23.4 and Pacers 24.3. Um, to go over some of the <laughs> ridiculous box score numbers from four particular dudes in this game, um, so obviously, um, Bradley Beal had 50 points in this game and he, he played 39 minutes. Those 50 points coming on 31 shots. He was 19 of 31, um, nine of 11 from the free throw line. So 50 points coming on 36 and a half shooting possessions is ridiculous. Um, Russell Westbrook had 33 points, um, 19 rebounds, 15 assists, um, was 11 of 26 from the field and eight of nine from the free throw line. So 33 points coming on 30 and a half shooting possessions. So kind of almost efficient. Um, probably about like a little bit below average. Um, but you know, he does other stuff, so that's okay. Um, Devontae Sabonis in this game had 30 points in 43 minutes, um, 12 of 21 from the field, six and seven at the line, um, 13 assists, 13 rebounds. Um, Karis Levert had 35 points on 12 of 30 shooting, eight of 11 at the line. So ended up being having 35 points on 35 and a half shooting possessions. Um, which is not very efficient at all. Um, it's kind of been the story of Karis Levert's young career. Um, and yeah, I'm um, talking about some other guys like O'Shea Brissett at 12 points, Doug McDermott had 11, Edmund Sumner had 13, uh, other guys in double digits, um, Rui Hachimura had 13 points in his game back. He played 39 minutes or 35 minutes. Uh, he was supposed to have a minutes limit. Uh, I assume he went over that, um, which is kind of weird because it's not like he was doing a ton out there, but I'm not sure who his replacement guy would have been. Um, so I guess that makes sense because Hutchison played 12 minutes and didn't look at it all. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, Davos Rattans was two for eight from three, three and nine from the field, and two of three at the line. Um, and yeah, so I guess the first thing I want to talk about is a little bit about the very end of this game that was <laughs> hilarious. Um, I want to talk about the last couple plays of overtime um, because I thought those were funny. Um, so basically what happened, um, the Wizards were down by two points. Um, no, they're down by one point because of that Edmund Sumner, like, fadeaway shot. Um they're like that. It wasn't like a fadeaway, but it was like this weird pull up, like at the end of the clock. Um, that was with a minute left in the game, and that put the Pacers up one thirty two to one thirty one. The next bunch of bunch of possessions were just like bad shot after bad shot from both. Like so, Westbrook took a couple bad shots, um, and then Karis Levert took a bad shot in the middle of that, um, and then eventually the um, the Wizards. So it was that one play where. Um, Westbrook drove down like that was actually a pretty good uh it was a good take um but he shot an inside hand layup and Drew Ho- or Justin Holiday was there um with like he's really really long so he was there to block the shot um but Daniel Gafford um got the rebound credit to him um the Wizards called a timeout which was smart because like the pace were digging down on him like it did not look like that was gonna end well even though he had two feet in the paint like and he had the ball like he was about a loser. He was about to be a jump ball or like something. Um, so really good um, heads of play from whoever called the timeout. Like, I don't know if it was like Westbrook on the floor or Scott Brooks um, or I don't know, someone else on the coaching bench. Um, but whoever called the timeout, that was a good heads of play by them. Um, Wizards have the ball. Eight seconds left. Um, they run this uh, similar play to what they ran at the end of regulation um, where they have 
well, it was a little bit, they mixed up the alignment of it, um, but it was similar in terms of concept, um, where it was Bertans coming from the corner, um, coming like he was going to set a screen on Russell Westbrook, um, but then he ghosted it. Um, Westbrook drove baseline um, from where Bertans just came from. Um, Karis LeVert came over to double, um, and then they... I believe Karis LeVert is the one that fouled Russell Westbrook, who ended up, it was a second left in the game. Russell Westbrook was turning around to take a terrible fadeaway. Like, just, it was one of those, like, no-hope shots. Like, if he gets it off, it's just, it's just not going to go in, and you're going to win the game. All you have to do is just stand there and not foul him, because, like, like, the Wizards got nothing out of that possession. Um, instead, LeVert comes over way too hard um, on a double, fouls Westbrook as he's shooting. Now, Westbrook goes to the line um, down by one, which is interesting because... Um, Westbrook has had struggles at the free throw line this year. Um, I want to pull up his free throw stats super quick. Um, basketball reference, free throw numbers. So he shot 64% on the season. Um, so if you're a 64% shooter um, and you're taking two attempts, um, the likelihood of you making both is... Um, I can't do 0.64 times 0.64 in my head. is 40.8%. So it was a 40.8% chance that of Russell Westbrook at that line making both free throws. And he did. Like, credit to him. He made both free throws. Um, that was great. Um, one second left. Um, the Pacers have the ball. They sub out Edmund Sumner, O'Shea Brissett, and Goga Batadze. And they sub in TJ McConnell to be the inbounder. Justin Holiday because he can shoot. And Doug McDermott because he can shoot. Um, you know, they, it made sense. They had, um, you know, two of their best shooters, Karis LeVert and Demontis Bonus in the game. Um, you know, the ideal alignment that you would want. Um, Wizards sub in Alex Len and they sub out Davis Bertans. First of all, thank goodness. Uh, Scott Brooks has not done that enough. Like, Davis Bertans is so bad defensively, especially in those, like, these last plays. Also, Thank you for not subbing in Chandler Hutchison in that situation. Um, the last few games, the Wizards have been subbing in Chandler Hutchison as a defensive replacement, and he's just been, like, killing them. Um, but they sub in Alex Len. Alex Len and Russell Westbrook. So um, Sabonis sets a screen um, near the top of the key for um, Karis LeVert. Um, LeVert comes off it. The Wizards mess up the switch. Russell Westbrook goes way too far under the ball screen. So he has to recover. Um, Karis LeVert gets the ball. It was a late pass from TJ McConnell to Karis LeVert. Um, and then Russell Westbrook, it gives Russell Westbrook enough time to recover and block the shot. Um, honestly, like I didn't think the, the only thing that was impressive to me about that block was that he did it with his offhand. Um, and then doing it with his offhand gave him a better angle on the ball because it was on the right side of the floor. Um, so that gave him that little extra inch or two to get a full hand on that ball to block it. Um, but yeah, he made a defensive mistake on that play. I don't know if it was on him. I don't know if it was on Len. Um, I assume that Len um, communicated the screen, so he would have communicated the coverage on it. Um, or if it was like switch everything, then it would have been Len's fault. Um, but a really good play from Russell Westbrook to block it with his left hand. Um, and then like, you know, just like, I don't, is it like really a good hustle play? Like there's literally one second left in the game. I don't want to say that, but like it was a smart um, smart feat of athleticism. I don't know. I don't know what to say, but that was it was impressive that he did that with his left hand because most guys would have like gone for the swat with the right hand and then potentially like fouled someone because of the angle you're coming at the guy. Um, so that was really really smart. Um, yeah. So he gets the block. Um, and then the game's over. Um, because there's only one second left and the Wizards win the game. Um, the other play I want to talk about super quick was the last play of the fourth quarter. Um, it was another like if you're gonna call a timeout you have to draw up something better than just a ghost screen for Russell Westbrook to pull up an elbow jumper. Um, do something more creative. Like Westbrook in an ISO is not that good, um, especially if it's just him on Drew Holiday 
or like him on like whoever was guarding like who was guarding Bertans in that situation it was like O'Shea Brissett or whoever on um, like there was no one to really really attack on that team and like the Pacers weren't giving up easy switches anyways um and they weren't like switching everything so like there's no really there's there wasn't a point in calling a timeout in that situation with 13.4 seconds left when the Wizards had the ball I would have rather just seen Westbrook take it down and try to shoot also the other play I want to talk about is the Westbrook layup with about 20 seconds left um so or I guess right before that so the it was a the Wizards were down two Sabonis um gets a really really bad over the back foul on Daniel Gafford going for a rebound um credit to Gafford for making two free throws I don't know what Gafford's free throw percentage is on the season but I can't imagine it's that good with that like you know two motion like over the head shot that he has um and then he he just like he has a little bit of touch but like not particularly so his free throw percentage this year is 62.5 percent um so yeah credit to him for being able to make both free throws with 48 seconds left in the game to tie it in regulation um yeah so it was after um a Karis LeVert um fadeaway jump shot um it was actually after play where Russell Westbrook got a good stop on him um Westbrook switched on a Karis LeVert um he stuck with him and he forced him like he didn't get let him get to the rim he used his strength um because Westbrook is just like he's way stronger than Karis LeVert at this point um so he used his strength to prevent Karis LeVert from getting into the paint and forced him to do a turnaround fadeaway shot. Um, and he missed. Rui got a fantastic rebound after that, um, kicked it out to Westbrook. There's twenty. There's like a three-second difference between shot clock and game clock, and there's um, you're, it's a tie game. So normally in that situation, you'd want to just pull it out um, and just play. But like if you're Russell Westbrook and you have a full head of steam going down against Karis LeVert backpedaling, you got to go shoot that layup. And like great recognition from Russell Westbrook to not pull it out and just go attack and shoot the layup. Even though you give the Pacers 20 seconds left, getting those two points is so much more valuable than wasting time. Um, I thought that was a really, really smart play from Westbrook where a lot of guys probably would have pulled it out. Um, so I was happy to see that. And like, again, like Russell Westbrook just being in attack mode as something that I love, love, love to see. Um, and yeah, Westbrook had a fantastic game in this one. Um, I don't know if I want to... <sighs> At some point in time, either this episode or the next episode... We're going to have the triple-double talk about Russell Westbrook. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Bradley Beal. Um, so Bradley Beal is absolutely ridiculous. He was 19 of 31 from the field, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 3 of 7 from 3. Um, he scored 50, 50 52, uh, 50 points. Um, there's one thing. So nothing was worse than watching Bradley Beal on the bench in this game with like tears in his eyes because he like, I don't know what, like if he just had like a cramp in his like hamstring, um, if he re-aggravated that right hip injury or if you just like, with like if his ankle was hurting too much. Um, but that was really, really painful to watch Bradley Beal with like tears in his eyes, knowing that he couldn't come back in the game when he was like absolutely dominating. Um, but yeah, to go over the shot chart with Beal, 8 of 12 from inside the restricted area, 5 of 7 from inside the paint outside the restricted area, 3 of 5 from mid-range and 3 of 7 from 3. Um, he was destroying, <laughs> he was destroying, um, DeMontis Sabonis and, um, whoever's guarding, like Karis LeVert. Um, I actually, I don't know if Justin Holiday really did, like actually did that bad of a job. Um, but everyone else he was destroying, <laughs> um, like there's, so every single pick and roll, um, basically, so for the most part, um, what the Pacers were doing against him, um, was having DeMontis Sabonis come up to touch. Um, so like not necessarily all the way out on Beal, but like up to the level of the screen, um, and then like Beal would just be able to turn the corner against him so easily and get like whatever looks he wanted. Um, and that's how he scored most of his points. Like he shot 19 shots inside the paint in this game and he made 13 of them. Um, that's an incredibly high number. <laughs> like usually you don't want your defense to be giving up that much. Um, so then later in the game, um, 
And also, like, a lot of the Pacers' defense in general is just predicated off running guys off the line and forcing them to the paint, um, which works great if Miles Turner is your rim protector and doesn't work at all if it's DeMontis Sabonis, who is not very good at rim protection, um, which I touched on last, last episode um, a lot, so I don't really want to go too much into that. Um, but Beal in the paint, like, 8 of 12 from right at the rim is ridiculous in a single game for a guard. Um, so, yeah, so what the Pacers adjusted by... In like the fourth quarter-ish, um, they had Sabonis come out on the floor way, way more aggressively. It didn't matter. Beal would just turn the corner on him every time. Um, so that was a disaster. Um, and then like what they did after that, after Beal was able to turn the corner so easily on Sabonis coming out further out on the floor, um, was that they would send more guys towards Beal, like pull them over a little bit. Um, and then Beal, I guess, like I assume learning from last game, um, he did a good job as a playmaker, as a passer, like kicking out to the weak side whenever he saw that multiple guys are pulling over and like way out of position to what they would normally be for a closeout. Um, you know, lengthening the closeouts by like three to four feet, which is like plenty of time to get a shot off or just more time to attack the closeout. Um, Cause that's like, it's hard to like, you know, close out that far and then not get blown by if they decide to attack. Um, so really, really good job from Beal in that situation. Also, good job from Scott Brooks. Um, so, like, something he likes to do is start to set the screens a little bit higher out. If the bigs are coming all the way up that far, like, that aggressively, like Sabonis was in that fourth quarter. Um, and that's really, really smart because it gives Beal, like, a few more feet of space to operate. It spaces the floor better if you set a screen higher. Um, and then if you have guys in the deep corners, then it's really, really hard to defend. Because um, then, again, it's even making the closeouts even further for those guys. Um, so, really, really good adjustment from Brooks, um, you know, when um, Nate Bjorkman and... Damontis Sabonis were going to that. Um, so yeah, um, but it was it was terrible um, to watch Beal injured. I hope that he gets, like, I hope he's back for whenever. The, I think they play on Monday against the Hawks, so I ho- I really, really hope he's back for that because that, I think that would be so interesting because um, I want to see um, Clint Capella like, trying to come up to level screen against Beal. Um, I want to talk about, like, if I were the Indiana Pacers, um, I don't know what I would do. Like, it's hard to hard hedge. Um, because like the Wizards just flip the level, like flip the angle of the screen and then just go that way. Um, is what they normally done against a lot of that, or just like reject straight, reject the screen. Um, like if you want to like blitz it, um, that's probably what I would have done. But then, um, you really don't want DeMontis bonus having to cover that much ground when he's like one of the driving forces of your offense. So I don't know if I would have fully blitzed it. Um, so I guess like the next option is to drop. Um, which is probably what I would have done, except Beal's shot making in this game is really good. Um, but I probably would have dared him to make shots, like just gone hard over and then like done a drop and just forced him into mid-range jump shots. Um, that's the coverage I probably would have gone with if I'm, if I'm the Pacers. But then like if you give Beal a full head of steam going downhill at the Monte Sabonis, can Sabonis even stop Beal at the rim? Question mark. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I man, like this is this is why it's so hard to build around Sabonis. I talked about this last time. I don't want to talk about it too much again, but this is why it's so hard to build around support. Because, like, what do you, what kind of pick and roll coverage do you run with him if he's your center? Like, especially in the play, like, if he can't run pick and roll coverage against the Wizards, and like, I'm sitting here, like, thinking through literally every single pick and roll coverage, and there's like, nothing you can do with him against Bradley Beal. Like, there's no, like, I love Bradley Beal. There's better players than Bradley Beal out there on planet Earth that you're going to have to play against if you want to win a championship. What does DeMontis Sabonis do in pick and roll coverage against better players than Bradley Beal? Like, what, what on earth would he do against, like, Steph Curry? Like, God forbid LeBron James, or I don't even, like, yeah, or like Luka Doncic would just, just destroy him, like, oh, man, it's tough, it's tough for Nate Bjorkman, like, do we want to talk about the Pacers, how they're actually, like, literally imploding, and then they still came out here and, like, played pretty hard and only lost by one point, um, like, all the reports that have come out is that, like, Nate Bjorkman is, like, 
doesn't sound like a good dude, um, which is disappointing because I thought he would be a really good coach. Um, like I like that he like goes out and he tries a lot of stuff. Ooh, the Pacers should have ran a box and one. I'll say that. That would have been really, really interesting because they've run a box and one against like the Steph Curry's of the world in this season. Um, Pacers box and one with uh, Justin Holiday face guarding Bradley Beal. I think that might have worked. Um, like it would have left a ton of Wizards shooters open. But, like the Wizards are just like not a very good team in terms of three-point shooting um so i would have been able to live with that like the wizard in this game were nine of 32 from three which is 28.1 percent um i want to look at the league the league shooting oh no i didn't want to do that i went away from my game page i want to look at league shooting um i haven't looked at this in a while um so this will be interesting on the spot um all three frequency for the teams the wizards are last in the nba in terms of three-point frequency um, at shooting 29, 29.3% of their shots from three. Um, that's pretty interesting. Um, offensive shooting, I wanted to look at accuracy. Um, in terms of three-point accuracy, the Washington Wizards are 24th in the league, shooting 35.5%. So yeah, I would have gone to a box and one. That's that's my new decision on how I would have guarded Bradley Beal. Not a drop. Box and one. That's more fun. Um, yeah, but let's not, So like Nate York and like their reports have come out that like he's yelling at like equipment managers. Like, come on now. Um, like he's micromanaging assistant coaches, like Malcolm Brogdon doesn't like him. Sabonis doesn't like him. Like he's going to be gone after this season. Like if that much stuff comes out about you, like it's hard to keep your job. Like no matter how much of it's actually true, like in like Sabonis and Brogdon don't like you and you're the coach of the Pacers, you're not going to last long. Um, which sucks because I think he's interesting. Like I'd love to see him hired again as an assistant. Maybe done like, you know, maybe, you know, you live and you learn. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe someone, someone takes a chance on him, but like, Man, it sucks that he's probably like never going to coach again in his career when he's like a relatively young, promising dude um, who's really, really, really smart and really knows his basketball. Um, but you know, there's a difference between like you know being a, an assistant and being a head coach. Um, it's really tough to be a head coach in the NBA, like dealing with all these dudes. Um, it's not an easy job. Um, I guess like once you see that, like you kind of got to give more credit to Nick Nurse for what he does with like getting guys to buy in. Like Bjorken just hasn't gotten the same level of buy in that Nick Nurse gets out of a pretty similar scheme. Um, so credit to Nick Nurse um, for being in a similar spot and just doing better. Um, so yeah, let's talk about um, how far into this are we? 20 minutes. Um, I really don't want to have the triple-double discussion tonight. <sighs> okay, yeah, I figured out a way out of it. Pacers offense. Um, the Pacers offense without um well actually i want to look at the past two weeks of the pacers offense i want to look at the league summary on cleaning the glass um it's loading it's loading it's loading um league summary um in the last two weeks in terms of offense the pay oh the wizards are third well because they played the pacers in that one ridiculous game the pacers are actually 10th oh because they played the wizards in that one game okay so that's not fair um okay so disregard that um anyways the pacers offense mostly devolved to either DeMontis Sabonis running delay action with like guys like Doug McDermott like <laughs> coming off down pin downs and like back screens or like DeMontis Sabonis like running Chicago action with Karis LeVert or just straight pick and roll with DeMontis Sabonis and Karis LeVert um and when your offense just devolves like not doing very much um it's not gonna work very well um the Pacers did not get very good looks tonight at all um but they got a lot of shots at the rim and way more than they should have um, part of that was because they were able to get out in transition to a certain extent, but like not a ton. And actually their transition numbers really weren't that good. Um, so yeah, I can't figure out like, how did the, 
the Pacers got a ton of shots in the paint. A lot of them were from, um, like, obviously, um, what, like, Karis LeVert only got six shots in the paint. Like, who got all these shots? Like, Sabonis got 12. Um, like, Sabonis, like, first of all, Sabonis against Daniel Gafford, that's, that was a problem. Sabonis against Alex Len, like, he's too quick for Alex Len and Robin Lopez. Like, Sabonis is uniquely designed to be able to take those two guys in particular. I'm trying to figure out who else shot, like, shots in the paint. Goga Patate shot three. Like, O'Shea Brissett had six shots in the paint, basically just off cuts or offensive rebounds. Um, Aaron Holiday had one. Levert had six um, just off, like, driving mismatches. But he was only three for six in the paint. Um, TJ McConnell had two shots in the paint, um, basically just blowing by with his quickness. Um, Doug McDermott had five shots in the paint, pretty much all off back cuts or back screens, um, like, because he wasn't necessarily going to blow by anyone. Um, but yeah, like the Wizards, they try to like get on the high side of him a lot when he was trying to come off screens and then he would cut back door and then like obviously like always, as always, like the help side defense is sleeping, but also like it's really, really hard to help off of a back cut because when he catches the ball, um, you know, he's basically at the rim and then like Sabonis being a good passer from the high post that he is, um, he's able to make those bounce passes. Um, so that's a little bit of a tough situation. And then Edmund Sumner had seven shots at the rim. I like Edmund Sumner. Um, he's fun. I think a lot of those were in transition though. Um, but yeah, Edmund Sumner, like, he can attack a closeout if he really gets his shot down. Um, and then, like, obviously he needs to put some more weight on his frame. He's not really a great passer, like, not a great ball handler or anything. But, like, being able to attack a closeout and being a versatile, long, athletic defender. Um, and then, like, just straight up having a really high motor, being a good athlete, like, that sh- will get you places. Um, we'll see if he becomes a rotation player, but I, I really like Edmund Sumner. Um, but yeah, so I think that Karis LeVert taking over the offense in the second half looks great when shots are falling but you know when tough shots stop falling um it gets ugly um and that's kind of what happened towards like the end of the fourth quarter and then overtime like Christopher there's like a 12 minute stretch where Christopher was just like destroying the Wizards um because he was just attacking downhill he was getting to the rim he was making these tougher shots um but at the end of the day you look up and his numbers weren't very good um, and that's kind of like that's been the story with Karis LeVert for a lot of his career. Um, like he can create shots. He's really, really good at keeping his defenders in jail and the pick and roll. Like that's um, like a pretty necessary skill for guards to have nowadays. Um, you see more and more guards come into the league with that skill, which is great. Like Killian Hayes and um, had was pretty good at that already. Um, so that's fun. Um, but um, like you watch, you, like. His numbers just aren't very good in terms of true shooting. Like his true shooting percentage this season is 53%. That's like five points below league average. Um, League average this year is 57.2. So that's four points below league average. Um, Last year, his true shooting was 51.4. That was like five points below league average. The season before that, 50.9. The season before that, 52.5. Like he can create shots, but like how valuable is inefficient shot creation is kind of my question. Um, I think that one of his most valuable skills is just being able to handle in that pick and roll. Um, but his like his assist rates have never been that great. Like it's twenty four point two this year, fit twenty five last year. Like with the Pacers, it's twenty point eight. Um, obviously, he's not like really asked to do as much on the ball because Sabonis is there. Um, but yeah, like I don't really know if Christopher can be anything more than a six man just because of the inefficiencies, um, which is tough. Um, I also think that like he's fine on defense. Um, but like the tear ball play, he tried to make at the end of the game when he fouled Westbrook was really, really bad. Um, like some of the on ball stuff is lazy, um, like getting around screens. He's lazy. Um, and some of that is maybe because he's taking so many shots on offense. Like he played 40 minutes. He shot the ball 30 times. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not particularly a big Karis LeVert person. Uh, I'm not a big Sabonis person either. So that's kind of like why I'm a little bit frustrated with the Wizards only winning by one point when like those are the two best guys. I'm a really big Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner guy. So like, that's also why I'm a little bit disappointed. Um, but yeah, I wasn't a fan of the Pacers offense in this game. Like it was 
really, really simple. Um, but I feel like the Wizards should have been able to do it. Like, the Wizards did a fine job defensively. Um, I just think that, you know, like, it really should not have been that close. Um, yeah. Um, I want to see, like, the Pacers did, like, they shot the ball pretty well from the line. They were 25 of 30 from the line this game, which is 83.3%. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go over my notes real quick, and then that'll be it for this episode. Um, yeah, and then next next time, when Russell Westbrook breaks the record, we're going to have the triple-double discussion, the long-awaited one. Um, yeah. Um, my first note was the whole offense is basically a bonus running delay. A lot of Chicago action early for McDermott. Yeah, that worked out well in like the first two plays. Um, and then there wasn't a ton of that later. Um, but a lot of it just went to like back screens, which did work pretty well. Um, no one on the Pacers is strong enough or quick enough to guard Russ. He should be able to get in the paint easier, which he did towards the end. I'm giving credit for that adjustment. Um, Gafford guarding some motors in the post is a terrible matchup. However, on the other end, he should kill him as a rim runner. Um, Gafford didn't do a ton this game. Like he, he was good at the end, just being like an energy guy. Um, and he did. So one really, really exciting play is that he made a play in the short roll. He made the passing read really, really late, but he still made it at all. Um, so that's positive. Um, Batadze blocked two hooks. Oh yeah, Goga Batadze blocked two Robin Lopez hook shots in a span of about five seconds, which has got to be a world record. Um, Wiz run a play with a ghost screen and then a ball screen for the player who just ghosted, which is for Beal. Um, that was a nice play. Um, I like when the Wiz run that. Had to shout it out because um, I was an ATO. Um, Justin Harding, Holiday guarding Beal with not much help is not a good strategy. Yeah, like Beal, like just playing as Justin Holiday, like he was able to get by him a lot. Um, but like Justin Holiday. Like, he's a good defender, but, he, like, Beal's kind of just, like, too quick, and his handle's very, very functionally good. Um, so that wasn't a very good matchup <laughs> overall. Um, so bonus coming to level the screen is never going to work against Beal. And then, yeah, <laughs> talked about that. Um, the rim help on drives um, is not good without Miles um, Turner. Um, yeah, like, the rim protection for the Pacers was kind of brutal in this game. Um, Beal gets hurt, and all of a sudden the offense gets really stagnant. Um, that happens a lot of times when Beal comes out of the games that it turns – uh, shifts too much into like Russ iso ball. Um, Brad comes back for injury and the Pacers are going right at him. Beal guarding Levert right now makes no sense. Beal guarding Levert any part in the game makes no sense because Beal's just not very good at getting around ball screens. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't really understand that. Like Levert's most of his offense is coming like from coming off ball screen, so I didn't understand that at all. Um, a lot of late switches off pick and roll gets Beal switch onto the bon- onto his bonus. He's absolutely destroying him. Yeah, that happened a lot. Like. I don't know, you got to get back to your man if you're going over on Beal, like, really, really quickly. Um, I like Levert running pick and roll. He's really good at keeping his man in jail, but how good is the bonus against drop? Yeah, that's interesting because the Wizards run a lot of drop coverage and pick and roll, um, but, like, typically the big you want to attack the drop coverage is um, someone who could either, like, shoot it or someone that can, like, really, really get down, like, have good lob gravity. Um, Sabonis has neither, um, so, like, I don't know, really know how effective Sabonis is against a drop in terms of offense against a pick and roll. Um, or running a pick and roll. Um, Pacers are hurting the Wizards in transition. Got to get to the rim. Yeah, like if you're transition, like the first thing you got to protect is the rim. Um, sometimes the Wizards struggle with that. Um, the point of attack defense is too soft. This Pacers team should not be getting as many easy looks as they are. Yeah, um, story of every game, pretty much. Um, Pacers have started to send much more players for Beal on the side. Yeah, I talked about that. Um, Beal still killing Sabonis. <laughs> yeah, I talked about that. Um, okay, I talked about all this stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so that's going to do it for this episode. Um, next game is Monday. Uh Hopefully at 7 o'clock, I think. It's against the Hawks. Both those teams are in the Eastern time zone, so probably. Um, yeah, so um, definitely check that out. A podcast coming out that night or the next day. Thank you for listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. 
please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hoops Wizards Pod. I'll see you next time.